Thanks for joining us for this Sunday worship gathering. We're continuing to explore the book of 1 John in a message series we're calling Authentic, Finding What's Real in a World of Fake. Let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has for us today. Hi there, Journey. How are y'all doing today? It's great to be with all of you, especially if you're a guest. Really, really honored to have you here with us today. Uh, Today's Palm Sunday. Right, which is the commemoration of Jesus riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem that starts the final week of his life. Holy Week, we call it. Uh, significant stuff happening uh, this week. And we've been in the series that we call Authentic, Finding What's Real in a World of Fake, making our way through the book of 1 John. And today we're going to put the full lid on the series, the final chapter of 1 John, chapter 5. If you have a text, you can turn there, open your app, whichever way you access the scripture, we'll look at that together in just a few minutes. And could I ask, uh, like show of hands deal, how many of you would admit by show of hands that there are situations, there are times, there are occurrences in your life when you are, show of hands here, when you're not yourself, when you are not yourself. Yeah, lots and lots of us do that, right? Situations when we are not ourselves. And psychologists have looked really hard at this uh, with great interest and found that there's at least, there's a whole bunch more, but they looked in particular at three situations in particular, specifically when people are not themselves. Three in particular. There's countless other ones, I can assure you. But three in particular. First one is this. See if you identify with this one. The average person puts on airs when he or she, you know, that means you're not yourself. You sort of inflate yourself. You make yourself to be something that you're not. The average person puts on airs when he or she visits the lobby of a fancy hotel. Any of you do that? Yeah, there's a few honest people in here, right? It's where we like pretend to be more sophisticated than we are, right? Pretend to have more money than we do, and like, we pretend to be more sophisticated than we are. Which for us, we, we've got a significant problem with putting on airs in fancy hotel lobbies. Do you know why? It's because we're from Montana, right? And all that sophistication goes right out the window when we pull up to the registration desk and we pull out our what? Our driver's license and show it to them, and they're like, what are you even, you don't even belong in this hotel. Like, what are you doing here? Montana driver's license. You're from Montana. Like, you know, you, yeah. Lots and lots of people, they put on airs. They're not themselves when they step into a fancy hotel lobby. Then, next one, psychologists, you're going to love this one. Psychologists have discovered that many, many people try particularly hard not to be themselves. They try to hide their emotions. They try not to be themselves when they step into the showroom of a car dealership, don't they? Right? How many of you do this? Yeah, yeah, come on. You're gunning for the best deal possible, right? And why do you do that? It's because you're trying to bamboozle the poor car salesman, right? All the games we play, we pretend like we don't like the car, that we could take or leave the car, no emotional attachment to this car, right? We make these subtle insinuations that the car is a hunk of junk and we'll gladly take it off your hands for a very reduced price because there's so many things wrong with it. Some people are intentionally, by the way, car salespeople, they're on to us. They are on to us. They know all our games. People are intentionally coy when we walk into a car dealership looking to purchase a new car. And here's what we say. We're Christians, too. So we go, well, it's just a good stewardship issue, right? I'm just trying to be a good steward here, looking for the best deal. Finally, you'll love this one. You'll love this one. Psychologists tell us that lots and lots and lots of people, as they slide into their seats 
at a gathering just like this, at church gatherings. There's a whole bunch of people who try to, how do I say it, fake God out. A whole bunch of people try to fake God out, make God think that we're okay, make God think that things are going pretty well, that we've got things pretty well figured out, things are pretty well in hand, try to fake God out, make him think that we only occasionally need him, right? Lots and lots, no one in this room would do that, I assure you, but lots and lots of people try to fake God out. Three scenarios where people, some people are not authentic, are not ourselves, trying to be something or someone that they're not. And I just have to say, I get it. Uh, I get in particular the hotel lobby thing, right? You're trying to impress people. You're in a fancy hotel lobby in a major city or something. I really get the car dealership thing. You're trying to get a really good deal on a car. But I don't get the church thing at all. Honestly, I don't get the church thing. Like trying to fake God out, especially when it comes to 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. Look and listen to these words written by John to us. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water, by shedding his blood on the cross. We'll get to that in a minute. Not by water only, but by water and blood. We'll unpack what all that means in just a second. Now get this. And the spirit, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit of God here. And the spirit who is what? Truth. The spirit who is truth confirms all of that. With his testimony. So we have these three witnesses. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. The spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. Who is truth. That's who God is at his very core. God defines truth. Last week we talked about God being the definition. The very embodiment of love. And then this week John says... God himself embodies all truth, capital T, truth. He's the definition. He characterizes every facet of the truth deal. And lots and lots of people show up in rooms just like this all around the world. And we like try to head fake God. We try really hard to head fake God. But he's truth, which means that he already knows all of it, not to mention, and this is the first fill-in on your notes page, not to mention the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. He sees. He knows, and he sees because he's capital T, truth. And he sees, and he knows the truth about everything that we are and everything that we aren't. And he knows and sees what is really going on beneath the waterline of our lives, our souls, everything that's going on. He sees, and he knows. He sees, And he knows. And so while it might be really possible, maybe even easy for some of us to head fake every person that you want to in a gathering like this, but understand there's no head faking God. There is no head faking God. Now, I don't talk about this because I want to scare anybody into or out of anything. Right? Like remember the little song from Sunday school? Be careful little feet where you go, right? Be careful little hands what you do. Be careful little lips what you say, right? There's this sense of guilt and shame and don't you dare. I, 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 this isn't a fear-based deal. It's not a fear-based deal at all. God seeing and God knowing, it's not a fear-based deal. We're not trying to shame or guilt anybody into or out of anything. Some people, they, they try to use it that way. Guilt and shame and manipulation to get It's not like that at all, right? Like God's the cosmic cop radar gun, always on, just waiting for you to 
one mile over the speed limit or one inch out of line waiting to pounce. Not at all. Not at all. Instead, when John talks about God seeing and God knowing, it's actually meant to induce worship of him. Inspire awe of who God is. Meant to captivate our hearts about everything that God is. Sort of sweep us away in the beauty of God and his majesty and his love for us. Like no matter where your feet have been or where they might take you someday, no matter what your hands have done, no matter what your lips have uttered, God sees it all, he knows it all, and understand this, hear this, his love for you cannot ever burn brighter than it does right in this moment. God's love for you cannot ever burn brighter than it does right in this moment. And that is in light and in view and with his full knowledge of everything he sees of us and our lives and everything he knows of us and our lives, our history, our future, all of it. His love cannot burn any brighter than it does right now in this very moment. His love, the only way I know how to say it, his love is full on for you. The love of God is full on on for you. And yet even with that as the backdrop, how many people show up here and how many people show up in rooms just like this all around the world trying to head fake God because we feel like we don't have any other choice? Because we're afraid of what might happen if we're ourselves. We're afraid of what God might think if he saw our struggle or our pain or our heartbreak or our questioning, or our brokenness, or our mess. What might God think? And might we repulse him with that? And God says, not a chance. John tells us, he knows already, he sees already all of it. Every bit of it. After a really tranquil week-long summer vacation to Florida with their 10-year-old son, a couple of parents named Robert and Angela, they were about to leave their resort-side hotel for the airport for the trip back home. I think they were from Ohio. Just before they left the hotel for the last time, a young girl, also staying in their hotel, showed up, knocked on the door of their hotel room, and handed their son this really cool, handsome teddy bear as a gift. Here, just wanted to give this to you. They were overwhelmed with this girl's gratitude, not thinking anything about her kindness at all. They departed for the airport. However, as they passed through security at Orlando's bustling international airport, the teddy bear, of course, got a free ride through the x-ray machine, just like the rest of their luggage did. And suddenly, this really unsuspecting family learned just how very much appearances can fool you. See, the TSA security screener was alerted to the silhouette of a handgun stuffed inside of this very benign-looking teddy bear. It made it through the x-ray machine. TSA workers grabbed a scalpel. They sliced into the teddy bear, and they uncovered inside the teddy bear a loaded 22 caliber handgun stuffed inside of the teddy bear. Whoa. Trying to hide a gun in a teddy bear and then sneak it on an airplane. Wow. And then this one, how many of you are big fans of the holiday Halloween? How many of you love Halloween? Huh, that's weird. Not very many people love Halloween. We should just shut it down then, right? We don't need that one anymore. Well, there are lots of people in this world who love Halloween, and it's this 
weird day, right? People young, people old dress up. They play make-believe for an evening. Donning math. The mask is the centerpiece of all of the costumes usually, isn't it? Masks of favorite cartoon characters, superheroes, pirates, angels, princesses, villains, politicians. Masks of all kind that people don. And then mostly little people decked out in their masks, their full regalia. They roam through the streets of our towns, knocking on doors, proclaiming, trick or treat, as they loot. That's what they're doing. They're looting candy and goodies from willing, mostly willing neighbors and friends. And so, masks, hiding true identities. And then this one, how about this one? The Queen Mary was in her day the largest ship to have crisscrossed the ocean when it was launched in 1936. Through four decades of World War, hundreds of thousands of passengers, she valiantly served until she was retired, anchored as a floating hotel and restaurant and museum in Long Beach Harbor in California. Interestingly, during the Queen Mary's conversion from ocean-going to harbor-staying, they removed her massive smokestacks off of the ship so that they could be scraped down and repainted and then reattached to the ship eventually. But when they took them off and set them on the dock, the smokestacks, the most curious thing happened. As those stacks sat on the dock awaiting the restoration, they completely fell apart. They completely crumbled. See, there wasn't anything left of the three-quarter inch solid steel plate that those stacks had been originally made from. All that remained of the smokestacks were more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied to the smokestacks over the years. The steel had entirely rusted away. Like they were veneered over, glossed over again and again and again. And friends, here's the question. Is there a chance that you're someone who's trying to hide what's really going on in your heart, what's really going on in your soul, what's really going on in your family, what's really going on in your life, trying to even hide it from God somehow? Is there a chance? Is there stuff going on inside of you that you're afraid to admit? Afraid to admit even to God himself for fear of offending him or for fear that he won't love you anymore, for fear that he won't accept you, that if God really knew who you were, that you'd be undesirable to him. Is there a chance that you're trying to hide something away behind teddy bear stuffing? Trying to put a mask over something? Attempting to paint over, gloss over, facade over something. And here's the deal. We're more than welcome to do that. We can do it all we want to. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit of God sees the truth beneath any camouflage we ever try to head fake God out with. He sees right through it, right beyond it, right into it. All of it. He sees and he knows. And not like in a sick, twisted seeing and knowing, but in a loving, admiring, I already know, he says. I already know. Now Jesus, one day, I think he was pretty ticked off and he's ticked off at some religious leaders and he was particularly ticked off at the kind of camouflage that they used, which was a religiosity that they always had it all together, hiding behind God's law and hiding behind religion. And so I don't mean that these words are Christ's words to you 
about this same circumstance, perhaps, but I'm not assuming that. Listen to what Jesus says to these religious leaders, quite condemning words. You, you are beautiful on the outside, he says, talking to religious leaders, people who look like they had it all together religiously. But you're filled on the inside with dead people's bones, all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I'm not at all insinuating that our hiding, our masks, our teddy bear stuffing, our glossing over is in the same vein that these religious leaders were. But perhaps some of us, for fear of not being accepted by God, for fear of being rejected by God, we hide stuff nonetheless. We use teddy bear fluff and Halloween masks and layers of old paint to keep God an arm's length away because we're worried that he might think different, think less, think Lo, what he might do if he saw, if he knew the real, true me, the real, true you. But friends, what God wants you to know today, we want all of us to know today, is just simply because of who he is, just simply because of what God is like, you are always safe with him. You are always safe with him. Safe to allow your outside appearance to reflect the reality of your inward disposition. Now, it's not always like that with people, is it? But with God, you are always and entirely safe to allow your outside appearance to reflect the reality of your inward disposition. You do not ever in any way have to camouflage anything that's going on beneath the waterline, anything else, any time in your life, ever, ever, ever. He sees and he knows and his love for you could not be more full on than it is with all that seeing and all that knowing. And his seeing and his knowing is framed up by two things. We alluded to this a few minutes ago. It's framed up on one end by Jesus' baptism. This is the water thing that John's talking about when he talks about water and blood. And so the water is Jesus' baptism, which was the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry, wasn't it? That's the frame on one end, the bookend on one end. And then the blood that he talks about is Jesus' crucifixion. So the blood and the water, they testify. They're the bookends of Jesus' ministry, of what he accomplished. And every single thing that Jesus is and every single thing that Jesus does all points to the cross and every single thing that he accomplished there. His baptism on one end, his crucifixion, on the other end, and this week in particular, this gets funky for a whole bunch of people. This week gets really funky for a whole bunch of people. This church calendar week, it gets weird and funky because it's the week that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, lays down his life on the cross, and we call the day Good Friday, which doesn't seem all that good, does it? And yet it's really good. By the way, I hope you'll all show up for the Stations of the Cross thing that we do in this room on Good Friday. This coming Friday goes all day long. Really, really powerful experience. These really tangible ways of remembering Jesus' death for us on the cross. We all should step through that. You you won't regret being there, I promise. And our God, dying on the cross for us, for all of humanity, it just gets funky and it just gets real weird 
for a whole bunch of people. And the Apostle Paul, one of the great biblical authors, he says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, that Christ died on the cross, willingly laid down his life, the Jews get offended, the Gentiles, which is everybody else who's not a Jew, say it's all what? Nonsense, they say. That's what the world says. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This, quote, foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So you see, the world, this is why this week gets so funky for so many people, is because the world looks at the cross and looks what Jesus does on the cross for us, and they say, that's foolishness. That's just sheer foolishness. And they scratch their heads and like, seriously, whose deity willingly goes to the cross and dies? I mean, this is like, this is your God. And he goes to the cross and die. And they say, where's the win in that? That is sheer folly. Where's the win in your God willingly hanging on a cross and dying? Sure, he says he can call down legions of angels and have himself removed from them, but he doesn't. He hangs up there and he willingly, sacrificially gives up his life. Where's the win in that? And John in 1 John chapter 5 responds in very sharp contrast to what the world says about Jesus' death and how it's folly. Look what John writes, verses 11 through 13. And this is what God has testified. He, that's Jesus Christ, has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has what? Has life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. It's just that simple. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So while the world looks on at the cross and says it's folly, it's foolishness, Where's the win in that? God instead looks on and says, look, Jesus is life. Jesus is everything. He's the key to life, the key to eternity, the key to everything. He's it. Jesus Christ is it. And then John says, look, I just have to let you know that without Jesus Christ, here's how it goes for you. First John 5, 19. We know that we are children of God, right? We know that we are children of God. And, he says, this is a big old and, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. That's the status of those without Christ. And the literal meaning of John's words there are the world actually, see if you can picture this in your mind's eye, the world actually rests in Satan's arms. That's what he's saying. Can you just see it? Can you just picture it? And this is as if a whole bunch of the world like welcomes Satan's big old embrace, doesn't struggle against him at all. It's just under his control. He's got it. We see it every day, all around us, all the time. Welcoming Satan's Embrace. Without Jesus, that's it. That's it. But then John says, look, that is not, however, the world's final plight. Check this out. First John 5, 20. 
And we know that the Son of God has come. We know that Jesus Christ has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. It's not confined to being in Satan's embrace. The world is not confined to being in Satan's embrace. We know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. He's the key. He's it. It's him. So even in the midst of this world being under the control, in the arms of Satan, Jesus Christ every day in so many ways breaks into this world, sabotaging and undermining all of the world's systems and structures, bringing his kingdom, bringing his ways to bear. He's doing it right here, right now, today. One of the most remarkable things about God's redemptive plan is that it involves us. Can you believe that? It involves us, you and me, him longing to use us as part of his kingdom breaking into this world, his kingdom coming down here just like it is up there on earth, just as it is in heaven, just as we pray. We get to participate with him. And yet, our role in God's unfolding redemptive plan, friends, it's always and forever at risk. It's always and forever at risk, which is why the very last thing that John tells us in his letter, he closes his letter out the way he does because he wants desperately for us to realize this. 1 John 5, 21, last verse of the whole book. Dear children, and that's not like him looking down on us, talking down to us. He's pastoring us, remember. He's scooping us up, putting his arms around dear children. It's a really good pastor. Dear children, he says. You keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. You keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. It's his last word of the letter. And his final word is really can be summarized in two very simple words. God first. Always, forever, God first. The literal meaning of what John writes there is keep yourselves from idols. No idols. And most of us, we go like, well, I don't do the golden calf bow down thing, right? Most of us say that. And yet John tells us, keep yourself from idols because it's so easy for other stuff in our lives to take God's rightful place, his first place in our lives, in our hearts, isn't it? It happens that fast. In ancient days when the king of Siam had an enemy who he wanted to torment and eventually completely destroy, he would send that enemy a very unique gift. You know what it was? A white elephant. He would send that enemy a white elephant, literally a live albino elephant. Now white albino elephants, live albino elephants, were considered sacred in that culture of that day which meant that the recipient of that elephant had absolutely no choice but to intentionally and carefully give care to this unbelievable gift that they had been blessed with. But Siam knew that that albino elephant would take an inordinate amount of his enemy's time, resources, energy, emotion, finances, quite 
all-encompassing. And over time, the enemy would actually destroy himself because of the extremely burdensome process of caring for this, quote, gift. And friends, our spiritual enemy, his name is Satan. He uses the exact same strategy on us every single day. He lays, quote, gifts out in front of us in order to distract us from God being in first place in our hearts and in our lives. And it's really subtle, isn't it? Like these gifts, these distractions, these idols, they're really, really subtle. They're usually things that are like good on the surface. Because if they were like overtly sinful, we'd be able to instantly recognize. We'd go like, well, that's sin. I shouldn't be entangled in that. But it's more subtle than that. And it subtly undermines our relationship with God because we're distracted. We're off target, not focused on God. And so maybe I'd just ask you, what are the white elephants that you have going in your life that you have to feed and care for and look after and resource? And what are the white elephants in your life? What are the things that subtly distract you, taking your focus away from God? Now get this, it's probably not the activity itself that's the problem, right? It's the fact that the white elephant pulls you away from primary focus on Jesus Christ, taking God's rightful place in our hearts. And maybe today the Lord's speaking to you, inviting you today to put down those white elephants, so that you can, like John invites us to, keep God first in our hearts. Keep God first in our hearts. I just invite you to set your things aside and close your eyes and bow your heads if you would. Friends, God wants all of us to know today that we don't have to hide behind anything. No teddy bear stuffing trying to cover stuff up. No Halloween masks. No painted over, glossed over facades of any kind. God wants all of us to know that we can be real. Entirely, 100% real with him. And he also at the same time invites us to be sure that our faith in him is real. Inviting us once and for all to settle the matter of our faith in him. We don't have to wonder. Is this for real or is it? We don't have to wonder. God says you can know. And perhaps today you're coming face to face with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the one who hung on the cross and bled and died, his body broken. On that first Good Friday, maybe you're coming face to face with him. And you're realizing the magnitude of his love, the magnitude of his grace, the intensity of his pursuit of you. 
And you know, all we can say when we come face to face with our Savior is, man, I need him. I think I need a whole bunch of things in this world, but at the end of the day, I really just need him. I really just need Jesus. And why not make this the day for you to come home to Jesus, where you settle this matter of faith in him once and for all. And if that's you, I'd just invite you right where you are to join me in praying. Say, Savior Jesus, I get it. Only you are capable of saving me. And so with all the faith I can muster in this moment, I receive your gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Would you please be my Savior? Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your rising from the dead. Thank you for saving me. And Jesus, here's my heart. Here's my life. All of me trusting you. God in heaven, we thank you so much for being the kind of God that we don't have to hide anything from. That you love us through thick, through thin, through good, through bad, through ugly, through beauty, all of it. You love us. And you call us your children. We thank you so much for these who are coming home to you today, crossing the line of faith in you today. My goodness, God, you are spectacular and you do amazing things in us. And Jesus Christ, I pray for us that we would be singularly focused on you. No white elephants, nothing taking your rightful place in our hearts. Just you, seated on the throne of our hearts and lives, ruling our lives, calling the shots. We call you boss, Jesus, because that's who you are. And that's the role that you deserve in us. And so we follow you. And we trust you and we depend on you. And when stuff's real hard, Jesus, we cling to you because you're going to see us through. And we're going to be honest. Not going to head fake you. Not going to put on airs. We're not going to try to pretend that everything's fine, that we don't need you, that we've got it all figured out. We're just going to lean hard into you, Jesus. And you're going to see us through. We're so grateful, King Jesus. We pray this in your name and everyone agreed and said, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.